UFO Thinker Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker Podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So this is going to be part two of my kind of deep dive into Lou Elizondo's IG complaint, which is now available to the public to read in full. Um, so part one, I went through the first half of it. I've tried to split this up into roughly an hour per episode because I feel like a two-hour episode might be a little bit much. Um, but yeah, feel free to, to comment on this, send me messages, let me know what you think. I feel like it's a very, very important development with some you know, important clarifications about things we already knew and also some pretty fascinating details that we were perhaps weren't aware of or at least I wasn't aware of. So um, with that, that said, let's get cracking with part two. Right, so early 2014. Uh, at this point in the document, Lou says, quote, my office review received a very compelling video in 2011 sent to us on JWIX that was collected by a sensitive US platform operating in a denied area. This video was approximately 18 to 20 minutes in duration and appeared to show three UAPs flying in a distinct triangle formation. After vetting the video through several intelligence community experts, I I decided to share it with Mr. Tipton in 2014 to see if he was aware of any blue force technology that could explain what was being witnessed on the video. Mr. Tipson's response to me was that the video was weird and compelling and that he had no idea what the object was. Unquote. And again, it says details and specifics as to this information could be provided securely over secure means, blah, blah, blah. I just, I mean, that is pretty, pretty big. I haven't heard about this video before. There is... A conversation about this 23 minute video um, showing a triangle supposedly coming out of the water which is very very clear uh, but I don't think this is that video because this video is apparently 18 to 20 minutes in duration and it appears to show three UAPs flying in a distinct triangle formation I mean that that's that's pretty interesting and what what particularly um what, what particularly piqued my interest here is that it says that it was collected by a sensitive US platform operating in a denied area. So what, what exactly does that mean? I mean, first of all, sensitive US platform. So that is going to be a platform which is possibly not known by the wider public, which is some kind of sensor platform, which... Again, the types of things that are not not revealed, the types of things that have to remain classified because they don't want adversaries knowing about exactly what uh, observation platforms, sensor platforms can do, which is understandable. But operating in a denied area, what exactly does that mean? Difficult to really tell exactly what's meant by that. Are we talking about an area that the US have... Uh, observation platforms in that they don't want to reveal that they do like potentially if they have some kind of sensitive u.s platform operating over russia for example they would deny that that's an area that they that they have sensor platforms in 
But what if they have some kind of means of getting a centre platform into an adversarial nation, perhaps? Or is it talking about, when it says denied area, is it talking about something like Area 51? You know, an area which is is generally denied to have anything in it and, you know... They, they do accept that they have a, have a base there, but, you know, there's certain aspects of what goes on there that they will deny all knowledge of. So is, could it be potentially something like that? Mm, very interesting word in that. You have to let me know what you guys think. Anybody who's got a, a clue as to what that might mean, let me know. Drop me a message on Twitter or something or send me an email. It's always great to hear from people. UFOthinker at hotmail.com, at UFOthinker on Twitter. But this one really kind of, yeah... It really kind of made me think the video approximately 18 to 20 minutes in duration so that's not just like something zipping by the screen 18 to 20 minutes showing three uaps flying in a distinct triangle formation yeah very very intriguing anyway moving on from that 2015 Lou Elizondo briefed the ATIP portfolio to Redacted, who at the time was a senior executive U.S. Air Force detailee to the OUSDI. At the time, his staff and mine, uh, so his staff and Lou's staff, shared office space at Redacted, and he was instrumental in providing me advice and assistance. My hope was to use Redacted as an interlocutor with US Air Force Redacted in order to understand the US UAP issue from an Air Force perspective. So this is very interesting because in 2015, Lou Elizondo was briefing people within the Air Force or within the Air Force detailee to the OUSDI about what ATIP were working on. Very interesting. So Lou and this gentleman, or you know this individual, should I say, we don't know who it is, um, shared office space at a redacted location and was instrumental in providing advice and assistance. So that is quite interesting to me that there was somebody there who was a senior executive US Air Force detailee to OUSDI who was actively really helpful with providing Lou Elizondo advice and assistance with his work in ATIP. Pretty interesting. And apparently redacted individual um, collaborated frequently and had lunch over the matter and Lou introduced him to several members of ATIP, again, strongly suggesting that there were many people involved in ATIP even at this late stage in 2015. And this individual, the redacted individual, was um was very interested in the topic genuinely interested in the topic as the way it's worded and he was also aware that another redacted individual was briefed into atip and that there were a select few individuals who would receive briefings from lou's staff and lou himself so again lou's staff we're talking about atip not being a one-man show we're talking about team of people here with scientists uh, as advisors and they were they were actively working with other departments as well on this topic now upon his departure the redacted individual from OUSDI Lou provided the individual a small token of his uh, appreciation for his support by providing a one-of-a-kind original photograph of an Apollo astronaut on the moon with a handwritten note so that's clearly suggests there that this individual really was quite strongly connected to Lou to the point where he actually gave him a present when he left his, his role. So 
very interesting little point there. And I kind of thought he was going to say, providing a one-of-a-kind original photograph of a triangle, but no, unfortunately, it's an Apollo astronaut. But it does make you wonder if there was anything in the background, perhaps, on that particular photograph, because it was a one-of-a-kind original photograph. Can you imagine if it's actually a, an Apollo astronaut with a triangle zipping by in the background? Or maybe that's just my overactive imagination. So... Um, we're going to move on and try and get up to the present date here because um, there's a lot to get through and I, I'm not going to read out every aspect of this but I, I do think this timeline is so important to go through hence why I'm spending quite a long time on this here uh, and this is going to turn out to be very long I've just realized I've already been talking for over an hour so um, let's try and, uh, and simplify a few of these points uh, a little bit so basically we're moving on now to 2014 to 2016. Lou uh, Elizondo's office was routinely engaged with other members of the intelligence community in a formal working group spe uh, sorry, specifically organized for the purposes of discussing and assessing UAP activity. The problem is with this is that there's not much of this you can skip because there's so much important information in there. We're talking about Lou Elizondo claiming Bearing in mind that's still what we're looking at here. This isn't definitive 100% proof. But Luella Zondo is claiming that between 2014 and 2016, his office was routinely engaged with other members of the intelligence community in a formal working group specifically organised for the purposes of discussing and assessing UAP activity. That is huge. That is a massive piece of information. There was a formal working group engaging with other members of the intelligence community specifically for the purposes of discussing and assessing UAP activity. That is massive. Things like that I'm reading and just in disbelief. If that, I mean, again, the problem is, as I said, this is just Luella Zondo saying that this thing happened. Just because it's in a document doesn't necessarily mean that this is definitive proof. But if you think that Lou Elizondo would be very unlikely to be lying in general because of his track record of being pretty transparent and trustworthy and having a good, um, a good track record of, of following up on what he says, etc., then I think it's safe to say that you can take a lot of what's in this document to the bank. And also bearing in mind the fact that it's in this document and that this is going to be examined by people you know, the, the people involved in the Inspector General's office, they're going to be looking at this with a fine-tooth comb. He's got to be considering that they're going to put this under scrutiny. He's not just going to throw in ridiculous statements that weren't true. So, again, when you bear all that in mind, what Lou Elizondo is saying here, that his office worked with other people in a formal working group to specifically organized for the purposes of discussing and assessing uap activity i think that is a pretty significant point and this included older incidents such as the 2004 uss nimitz but also recent incidents being reported by u.s naval ship captains in theaters of engagement these incidents were often accompanied by video evidence taken from u.s weapon platforms in one such instance a senior member of the U.S. Navy sent an email pleading for guidance as to what he or she should do if they encounter more UAPs. 
This documentation still exists within OUSDI. And again, it says details and specifics can be provided, secure means, blah, blah, blah. And it says, it was at this time that Lou also assumed the new role as the director of National Programme Special Management Staff, a National Security Council effort involving Guantanamo Bay. So again, at this point, it just shows there that Lou Elizondo was doing other things outside of his UFO work. And obviously he was, you know, balancing all of these various roles, um, you know, with the work that he was doing within within the ATIP uh, side of things as well. Now, 2015, 2017, on a regular basis, Mr. Stratton, who at the, at the who was assigned at the time as a Stratcom liaison officer, and Mr. Brennan McKen, sorry, bear with me a second, Mr. Brennan McKernan, I think that says it's a bit hard to read, um, the current UAP task force director. So at that point in time, at the time of writing. Brennan McKernan was the current UAP task force director and I, so, and, and Lou would discuss new reports that were received and engage in a larger working group discussion with other elements within the IC. So again, referring back to the fact that Lou Elizondo and the people that he was working with on these new reports coming in were being discussed with, in this larger working group with other elements within the intelligence community. So interesting that. And these meetings were conducted in designated OSD and Navy sensitive compartmented information facilities, SCIF spaces, within the Pentagon or Sweetland Naval Air Station. Some of this is a bit hard to read because the, it's hard to explain, but the text like slightly lopsided on the, uh, on, on the document. Anyway, expertise ranging from electro-optical experts to radar engineers will be utilized to try and ascertain some of the observations and what models of physics will be required to explain uap performance it was also suggested that a joint operational plan be developed through the joint staff to potentially elicit a behavior response to uap activity in 2016 a formal op plan was uh, OPLAN that is was drafted and submitted through an alternative compensatory control measure channels the OPLAN was significant in detail including the frequency of incursions by UAP locations and type at one point a comprehensive listing of UAP activity was included for the entire month so again it just goes on and on with really fascinating and interesting bits of information so we're talking about significant numbers of UAP activity being reported here, even going to 2015, 2017. This information was being discussed at a pretty high level with collaborative efforts with other people within the intelligence community. And they were putting actual plans in place to figure out if there's any kind of, a, a, you know, how, how to actually respond to UAP activity. And you know trying to figure out what models of physics could be you know would be required to actually explain the performance of these uaps very very interesting and the thing about eliciting a behavior a response to uap activity that got me thinking and this thing in 2016 uh, you know a plan being drafted and submitted through uh, various channels to 
to really break down the frequency of these incursions, where they were located, the type of incursions that they were, you know, and, and a comprehensive list in there that was that was included going over an entire month. It, do, it does certainly seem to suggest that the types of things that Ryan Graves has said about these things being witnessed on a daily basis for months, you know, I wonder if that's actually what's being referred to here or something very similar. What he certainly does suggest is that this is a very regular thing and people pretty high up within the Navy and, and apparently other aspects of, of the US military and intelligence community were all aware of this and all looking at it. Really, really interesting stuff. So then moving on to 2016, um, Lou's former supervisor, Mr. Tipton, had returned to the OUSDI after completing uh, another role. And he was assigned under the huge redaction. And in his new role, Mr. Tipton, uh, Lou believed that Mr. Tipton could be uh, something uh, of value to the ATIP efforts. In 2016, Lou sent Mr. Tipton an email welcoming him back to the uh, OUSDI and um, apparently Mr. Tipton was very interested in a particular video and he responded to Lou with an email uh, in the subject line was included that UFO video and in this email Mr. Tipton asked Lou how the efforts were going at ATIP and if they were able to actually gain any additional clarity on or fidelity, as it's put in the document, on a specific UAP video that Lou had shared with him the year before while he was Lou's supervisor at the ISPE. Lou's response was negative, so in other words, they couldn't get any additional clarity on that particular video. During this time, Lou had also asked Mr. Tipton if his new office could be helpful in his endeavours involving UAP. He suggested that he speaks directly with Redacted and in 2016, December of that year, Lou spoke to Redacted and explained that the funding for 13 and 14 was taken by another office and their resources were very slim, but that the mission was very viable. So just on that point before we move on, that's what I was talking about earlier. The funding for 13 and 14 was 10 million, secured by Harry Reid and... Unfortunately, the language in the wording to secure that funding was vague enough that that money ended up actually being used by uh, for something else in the end, and Lou and ATIP weren't able to get that money. So at this point, the funding had gone, the resources were very slim, but actually there was quite a lot going on still, and definitely quite a lot of data coming in, a lot of videos, very interesting. So... Um, Tipton shared with Lou his support for the effort but indicated that he would be leaving for another position soon and that he should keep Mr Tipton in the loop and Lou also shared with Redacted his frustration for not being able to brief other senior leadership due to restrictive stovepiping but that um, he had received exceptional support from one of his subordinates Redacted in the past and redacted appreciate the compliment so a bit hard to really read anything into that because um it's all redacted in terms of the individuals involved certain people on twitter etc have been trying to uh, figure out what's behind these redactions but i just feel like it's a bit of a guessing game to be quite honest moving on to 2016 during this time lou continued to attempt to gain additional senior level leadership involvement 
Lou's direct supervisor, Redacted, was informed by Lou that Lou was also involved in another sensitive effort besides NPSMS. Redacted indicated he was fine with this involvement in other governmental endeavours, provided it did not interfere with his performance as the director of the NPSMS. So again, Lou Elizondo there has approached the people he was involved with and told them that he was involved in ATIP and that it was fine. He was told that it was fine as long as it didn't involve in the work that he was doing in other areas. During that time, Lou introduced Redacted to other members of the ATIP staff, including Mr. Brennan McKernan. Although we, although Lou never specified that ATIP involved UAPs, he was aware that it was a sensitive, a program sensitive in nature. Um, uh, he was aware of the sensitive nature of the effort. Is actually how it's worded. Be important to get that clarity there, and the strict need to know aspects of the program, which he did respect. Redacted was later asked to provide information on a 2013 FBI investigation called Redacted for which the sworn statements would be useful for our efforts. Again, this is another one. I'm trying to think of maybe bits of this that I could not read through, but it's just so important because this investigation apparently involved potential UAP activity near a sensitive US government facility. And this apparently was a 2013 FBI investigation, which could be some of the information could actually be used to help with the ATIP efforts because it involved UAP activity near a US government facility. And again, this is another one where it says that details and specifics as to this information can be provided over a secure means. So it was around about this during this time that Lou was uh, growing increasingly frustrated by the lack of resources and interest by senior leadership. UAP reporting to his office was increasing, but the resources were minimal and leadership involvement was also non-existent. In 2016, Lou succeeded in having an unclassified academic study performed by a local university in Washington, D.C. Uh, regarding signatures of space threats and capabilities, including intercontinental ballistic missiles, in hopes that this information could be used to determine the various capabilities and domains in which technical assets could be used to better detect UAP activity. The author of that study was only told that their interest was in threats from space, and this study actually resides on the ATIP share drive known as Y Project on the JWICS. Again, that's just something that's really fascinating to hear about. A local university in DC actually took part in a study which is still available on the ATIP share drive, which I didn't even know was a thing, but apparently there's an ATIP share drive on JWIX. Uh, JWIX, by the way, for anybody who's not aware, is stands for Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System and is the the, the uh, United States Department of Defense's secure intranet system that houses top secret and sensitive compartmented information. JWIC superseded the earlier DSNet 2 and DSNet 3, the top secret and SCI levels of the defense network based on ARPANET technology. So that's important to know what it actually is. And residing on that JWIC system, there is a ATIP, ATIP uh, share drive known as Y Project. Are we ever going to see the contents of that project? I would love to. But that sounds super fascinating. 
you know, figuring out which technical assets could be used to better detect UAPs coming from space. It's just, there's so much in here. I mean, we're on page 12 and there's 64 pages in total. Now, a lot of the other pages are basically um, a reference documents to support what's being mentioned in this part of the statement. So I'm not going to be reading through the whole thing. Otherwise, I'll literally be here all day. But we're going to try and skip some of this now. Um, but this next part I can't skip. Late 2016, after increased frustration, Lou became alarmed with the frequency and dura duration of UAP activity in and around controlled US airspace. The instances seemed more provocative, and during one instance, they came within feet of a US fighter aircraft. The video of this encounter, and this is in bold type, the video of this encounter still exists on the ATIP share drive, known as Y Project, within the OUSDI JWIC share drive. So what we're talking about here is a video which apparently exists that where an object came within feet of a US fighter aircraft and it's described as being provocative. UAP activity is actually hotting up to the point where Lou Elizondo is alarmed by how often it's happening and how long these engagements last for. And in one case, they came within feet of a US fighter aircraft. Now, the instances seemed more provocative, and during one instance, they came within feet of a US fighter aircraft. And this video encounter still exists on this ATIP share drive. Now, that, that's so interesting. I mean, it's one of them. Uh, just reading that back just now, I'd been talking to a few other people about this, and this particular video, is there a possibility it might be the the flyby video that's gone round on Reddit for a few years now. Um, possibly. But now just reading that back, it says they came within feet of a US fighter aircraft. So that sort of suggests that there was more than one object. And in that one that I've seen, of a, of a, it's like a saucer through a plane window, quite fuzzy, not particularly good quality. And uh, it's like a, the typical flat saucer with a ping pong in the middle type of shape. That is clearly just one object and there isn't any other objects in that. And the fact that it says they came within feet of a US fighter aircraft sort of suggests to me that that may not be that video. It might be a totally different video that nobody has seen so far. Um, and also you would imagine that if this encounter, this video encounter actually does exist as it, alleged, it, is it, as it has been alleged here in this document, it probably would be pretty tightly under lock and key and it's it's housed on the ATIP share drive. And also a final thing there is that it says it came within feet of a US fighter aircraft. And I believe the analysis that I have seen on that Reddit flyby video, apparently that's not a fighter. It, the type of wing that it is and the type of window, it's been determined that it's not a fighter aircraft. It's actually something like a, a larger um, commercial airliner or it's not a fighter anyway so i guess thinking of it like that it's possibly a bit less likely that it is that video um but you know we just don't know at the end of the day now i think that's one of the main points in all of this really that particular thing there that there's a video where it's actually alarming to lou elizondo having looking at all this stuff the frequency and duration of uap activity in controlled in and around 
controlled US airspace, provocative in you know engagements with these objects where they actually came within feet of an aircraft and there's a video of this encounter. I mean, it doesn't get much more mind-blowing than this. Without seeing the video, it's, it's difficult to say exactly what, what that is, but, you know, if something's come within feet of a US fighter aircraft, within feet, I suppose, is open to him. You could be talking 300 feet, you know, but even still, that's very, very close, and the the footage of that must be pretty unambiguous. What What is what is that? I mean, what what kind of a thing are we talking about there? Is it is is it like a, a, a three three UAP in a triangle formation, similar as mentioned earlier? What kind of things were those objects doing? So fascinating. Are we ever going to see that or hear more about it? Is the question. Anyway, it moves on. Out of desperation, Lou was willing to break protocol and see the seek the guidance of the DDI for intelligence and security, Mister Gary Reed. So this is where Gary Reed enters the picture, and Gary Reed had replaced Redacted as the new DDI INS. However, prior to informing Mr. Gary Reed, Lou was warned by several individuals that Gary Reed could not be trusted, and it was not told to me at this time why he was not trusted amongst his peers, other than that he had an unusual relationship with his subordinate, Redacted. And he was also told, Lou was also told that this relationship is widely known within the OUSDI and that both Redacted and Mr. Gary Reed occupied positions of significant influence within the uh, counterintelligence, security and law enforcement communities. For this reason, Lou hesitated on briefing Mr. Gary Reed about the ATIP efforts. And again, Lou has said this all along. He said that for various reasons that he thought he couldn't trust him, Lou didn't brief Gary Reed about his ATIP efforts. And for that reason, that was part of why Gary Reed had such a vendetta against Lou Elizondo, because he became aware of all of this after Lou's resignation. Now, at the time, a third party allegation of sexual harassment was reported to Lou involving Mr. Gary Reed by one of Lou's office subordinates, redacted. And during one of these meetings, he referred to Redacted as Bunny and made her feel uncomfortable in the presence of other females, including a USDI attorney and counsel, Redacted. And Lou later learned that a formal IG investigation was initiated, to which Lou was called as a witness. So you've got to imagine that's the, the IG investigation that eventually led to Gary Reed uh, being removed from his position. Um, whether it's the what what specific allegation it was that got him removed is, is unclear at this point but um again that that is all all stacks up with with what we've heard so far and and the bigger picture that is emerging here so it moves on and i'm not gonna i, I am gonna have to start skipping some of this otherwise i will be here all day but i would recommend you read the entire thing because as i've as i've gone through so far i've gone through right from the beginning to page 12 and there's been so much already in there i think most of the significant points i've actually mentioned there but um essentially lou talks about becoming increasingly frustrated alongside his colleagues within atip and that there's um, a lack of engagement from senior level, um, you know, staff about what was going on in ATIP, and um, 
Lou decided that there was a, they needed to basically uh, declassify and, uh, and make some of the less sensitive videos available to a broader audience of expertise. So initially, the idea was to include some members of the defence industrial base and other experts to have access to unclassified UAP videos to help determine and assess performance and design characteristics. In 2017, Lou executed a DOD Form 1910 and 1910 and submitted through the Defence Office of Pre-Publication and Security Review for a security review of three videos, FLIR, GoFast and Gimbal. Furthermore, Lou requested through Washington Headquarters Services that this review be coordinated through the Original Classification Authority, OCA, although Lou wanted to limit the distribution of these unclassified videos to only certain parties, WHS indicated to me it was easier for them to simply authorise unlimited distribution. A few days later, Lou's request via the 1910 was officially stamped by DOPSR for unrestricted dissemination. And Lou, again, refers to some attachments, uh, documents to, to back this up. And again, I thought that was quite interesting because what that's saying is that in 2017, Lou was looking at getting some of these videos um, basically authorised for sharing with other people, with certain parties. And he initially wanted to get them um, authorised for limited release. But it was actually easier to simply authorise it as unlimited distribution and he, what he actually wanted to do there was to be able to share so these videos with experts on, on the, the inside, as it were, to be able to get a broader set of eyes on these on these videos and, and figure out what's going on with them and, and try and figure out. But there's so much to in, unpack in this paragraph alone. We're talking about some of the less sensitive videos. So the videos there were picked because they are less sensitive in terms of being able to, you know, they're not the ones where um, there are sensitive platforms involved and, and things that, that would be difficult to actually get out. And the idea was to include members of the defence industrial base and other experts to have access to these UAP videos. Obviously, what ended up happening in the end was that these were the three videos that, that, that were brought forward to the public, basically. But it, it's interesting there to get that clarity on exactly how all of that came about. 2017, Lou actually executed this DOD Form 1910 to get these things um, authorised for unlimited distribution, initially to try and get them shown around to experts on the inside. And then obviously, because during that process, he was told it would be easier to simply authorise them for unlimited distribution, that opened up the possibility down the line to be able to get them released to the public. Anyway, so moving on from that, um, at this point, 2017, Lou, it says, was invited by several direct reports to Secretary of Defence James Mattis to provide an official ATIP briefing within the SecDef Suite E-Ring River Entrance uh, Pentagon. And it goes on, I won't go through this in, in as much detail, but essentially, Lou Elizondo basically tries to brief people within the Office of the Secretary of Defence 
about what ATIP have, have found has multiple meetings and off the back of those meetings is, is requested to provide further briefings and meetings. And in the end, after several meetings, basically what happens is they, they essentially say that they are not going to brief the Secretary of Defence directly. And, and this all backs up what Lou Elizondo has said in the past about trying to brief Jim Mattis and trying to get to Jim Mattis with this information and and basically coming across various roadblocks. But it says, going back to the document, quote, after several weeks of briefings, redacted indicate, indicated that her colleagues in other government agencies are also taking this topic seriously, again, important point there, but did not know how to proceed at this time. Redacted indicated her concern about briefing the Secretary of Defence until they had a better understanding of the topic and the threat. Unquote. It goes it goes on to say that Lou explained to Redacted that time was not on our side and that the action must be taken to inform the Secretary. Lou informed them of his previous interactions with the Secretary when he was the Marine Expeditionary Unit Commander in Kandahar, Afghanistan, and that Lou's experiences, uh, experience with the Secretary is that he would prefer to be informed sooner rather than later. So essentially, a certain individual who appears to be a female has said that after all of these briefings that have gone on, um, and also this individual, this, this female individual, um, is aware of having colleagues in other government agencies that are also taking this topic very seriously, but didn't know how to proceed at this time, and actually... This, this female individual has basically said that it now is not the time to brief the Secretary of Defence on this matter until they understand more about it and the threat. So obviously the problem there is, how are you going to be able to understand this thing better if, if not enough funding is being allocated to ATIP in the first place? But at the same time, Lou's point is that the Secretary of Defence, based on his direct experiences interacting with James Mattis, the Secretary of Defence, that he would prefer to be informed about this sooner rather than later, but he wasn't able to get that information to him. Anyway, after this, between July and October 2017, based on those meetings with the Secretary of Defence, um, uh, within the Secretary of Defence suite, the discussions were held basically to change the leadership of ATIP to get somebody in, in charge of ATIP who has basically more connections to certain people that would allow briefings to the Secretary of Defence to take place. And essentially, um, Mr Tipton, mentioned earlier, agreed to assume the management role of ATIP under the condition that Lou remains as an advisor and still part of the ATIP group. And emails were exchanged between Mr uh, Tipton, Mr. McKernan, and Lou, that substantiate Mr. Tipton's awareness of the ATIP program and his new leadership role, as per guidance from Redacted and Redacted, um, which the second redaction there is clearly the same female individual mentioned earlier, because it looks as though it's a very short name. So I would imagine something like Sue or K, something like that. Again, not going to play a guessing game, but it's a short, a very short block. And it's unusual, really, for it to be such a short block. So it seems to me pretty clear that, uh, given the context of that sentence as well, uh, that's referring to that female individual from earlier. So 
per guidance from redacted and the female individual i think earlier um lou drafted an official memorandum assigning his atip responsibilities to mr tipton for the secretary of defense approval and signature and uh, mr tipton received the memorandum uh, and voiced his approval and in 2017 october of that year after nearly a decade of working within the ATIP portfolio, Lou decided to resign his position within the Pentagon and submit his resignation letter. And he deliberately addressed his resignation to the Secretary of Defense himself, knowing that uh, Lou's supervisor, Mr. Gary Reed, would not be able to hide it from the Secretary of Defense if it was directed directly to the Secretary of Defense. So, yeah, pretty interesting. And... All of that I've just talked about so far is all about the timeline of events of Lou's getting involved in the ATIP and RSAP, how it all progressed, some of the really, really intriguing information as to um, what types of things they had access to and the clarity and what they tried to do on the inside to to make progress on, on this topic. Absolutely fascinating to get it in that much detail. Really interesting stuff. And it actually says here, the remaining portion of this document relates to negative actions taken against me to discredit, obfuscate and misconstrue the truth, resulting in attacks on my credibility and my government responsibilities, which were a matter of public record. So the remainder of these uh, documents are basically uh, 5th of October 2017, uh, Lou got a, a phone call on his, on his personal cell phone from uh, Gary Reed's executive assistant in which she said that Mr. Gary Reed wanted to speak to Lou and Lou uh, basically uh, was, was threatened. Um, Mr. Reed was uh, clearly upset with Lou apparently and indicated he wanted to see him in his office. Uh, and Lou, uh, sorry, uh, Gary Reed also said that he would tell people that Lou is crazy and it might impact his security clearance. And uh, Lou basically responded to Gary Reed by telling him that he can take any action he thinks is prudently necessary, but that Lou was not mentally impaired or neither has Lou ever violated his security oath. And apparently Lou didn't meet personally with Mr. Gary Reed after that discussion as he feared that he would take retribution against him. And it also has a note here saying the fact that Mr. Reed told me directly he would make efforts to undermine my credibility and clearance by threatening to officially question my mental health shows his personal targeted vendetta and abuse of power against me from the outset of my departure of DOD. This fact is consistent with continued falsehoods repeated by the department's statements concerning me and shows a repeated pattern of abuse. So I think that's what this boils down to, this entire IG complaint, um, that you know the way that the Mr. Reed handled Lou's uh, departure and, and the threats um, that apparently uh, allegedly took place following Lou's departure um, and all that kind of thing is really what it, the, the crux of the matter here. And uh, in November 2017, uh, Lou basically had uh, warnings from some former colleagues that Gary Reed and Redacted were coming after Lou and would insinuate he was a fabricator. And at this point, Lou basically decided to um, recruit uh, a lawyer, obtain, obtain private legal counsel to ensure his security clearance would not be in jeopardy, uh, is the way he puts it. And Lou says how he was informed by Redacted that he was 
sorry, he was informed that Redacted was doing the dirty work for Mr. Gary Reed and that they were trying to destroy his reputation at the Pentagon, knowing that both Mr. Gary Reed and Redacted were actively working to hurt his security clearance was extremely concerning as you can imagine and this is what you know what we've been hearing about a lot for for many years now uh, and this was we were aware of this from what lou has said as i said in the past that lou was basically the victim of a a bit of a, a vendetta from some of the people that that um that he previously had had been involved with when he was working there and they were trying to come after him destroy his reputation and and damage his, his uh, security clearance it goes on then to talk about in 2017, the New York Times story and the political story came out about the ATIP program. And uh, in both of those stories, Pentagon spokesperson Ms. Dana White validated the existence of the program and Lou's role as the lead there. In December 2017, during a CNN interview, um, James Clapper indicated to Lou and Lou's spouse that he was very happy that they had a UFO program at the Pentagon and was proud that Lou ran it. And there's also an attachment as well to verify that. 2018 February, after the publishing of the New York Times article about ATIP and Lou's role, Lou basically got a few more phone calls from former associates who stated that Mr. Reed had launched an investigation against Lou through the US Air Force of Special Investi USF US Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Man, some of these acronyms get a bit intense. That's the AFOSI. AFOSI. In the hopes of finding derogatory information about Lou and to substantiate his claim of mental instability. Uh, Lou was also warned that his DOD computer systems were confiscated in an attempt to determine if Lou had taken any information with him in an unauthorised manner. And uh, in 2018, March 2018, which is basically a month after uh, what I've just mentioned there, Lou was informed by a member of the DOD IG that Mr. Gary Reed himself was under a formal IG investigation for inappropriate relations with Redacted and an additional accusation of possible sexual harassment against one of Lou's former subordinates, Redacted, which is what was mentioned earlier, I would imagine. And later that year, Lou was interviewed by representatives of the DOD IG regarding that and Lou basically explained that he didn't trust Mr Gary Reed based on personal observations uh, while employed as a DOD civilian and Lou also indicated there's a strong likelihood of Mr Gary Reed seeking rep uh, retribution against Lou for leaving the department in the manner that he did and again results are available within controlled DODIG channels on, on that and Lou was assured by DODIG personnel that this threat was unconscionable. 2019 essentially at this point in time under a freedom of information act request by a member of the media it was revealed that an official u.s AO, why can't i say this one afosi there we go investigation was conducted regarding three unclassified videos that were authorized for release as mentioned earlier in this investigation, there were no findings of Lou conducting any kind of unauthorized disclosure. So essentially, Lou was um, exonerated from that investigation. He was found to have done no wrong. 
And also a note here says uh, he was contacted on April the 21st, 2021 by Defence Counterintelligence and Security Special Agent Redacted, advising that Lou was required to submit a new interview for his security clearance, even though it was just adjudicated, or in other words, approved in January 21. He saw Lou engaged with Redacted twice, uh, April 26, 2021, April 27, 2021, in this new interview. And one of the inaccurate allegations redacted stated was that the three videos were released inappropriately by Lou. And this individual was unaware of the previous AFOSI investigation that included no wrongdoing on Lou's part related to that specific matter. So... 2019, several internet bloggers uh, were notified by the new public affairs officer, Mr. Sherwood, that Lou had no duties regarding ATIP and that ATIP did not involve the study of UAPs. As a result, various people on the internet were talking about it, accusing Lou of being a liar, a fabricator. And at this point, Lou actually directly spoke on the phone with Mr. Sherwood, um, who indicated that he was not happy with the way that this was being handled internally within the department and that he was aware that Lou ran ATIP, but forces within the building were telling him not to admit it. He also indicated that he was trying to write a new statement because the Navy actually substantiated Lou's claims of working with ATIP and that Redacted had called him personally to express his disappointment about the false claims by the department. Very interesting. And then there's another document attached to verify that communication. And in 2020, without any resolution, a new PAO was assigned to respond to media inquiries regarding ATIP. And here she is, Ms. Susan Goff. So Ms. Goff is also a U.S. Army reservist in psychological operations. And during Ms. Goff's tenure, the PAO statements became increasingly inaccurate and continue to change on a daily basis. As a result of the blatantly inaccurate and repeated false statements by Ms. Goff, Lou actually wrote an email directly to her on June the 3rd, 2020, where he addressed the specific issues and provided ample sources in which she could verify Lou's position. Despite several attempts to correct the record, Ms. Goff never responded to that email, refused to address the issue, and has continuously provided false statements to the press, even as recently as this week, at the time of writing, of course. So this is 2020 now, we're coming quite close to present date. 2021, in January of this year, a Freedom of Information response by the Pentagon confirmed the fact that Miss Goff has sidestepped Pentagon protocol and has inserted herself into the official FOIA process to ensure that a consistent message is maintained. This appears to be circumventing the official FOIA processes that have long been established to protect the American people and the integrity of information being provided to them. FOIA requests and responses are to be submitted to trained and designated fire personnel and not a PAO. The fact that Ms. Goff has inserted herself into this process preemptively further emphasizes that the fire process enacted in US law is being subverted. 
so so far here as you can see now we've moved into the second half of of this document we're now talking about the actual meat and potatoes of the actual complaint so some of the significant things that gary reed actually did um himself and some of the things that um susan goff has done which which could potentially be illegal now in 2021 as of may i am now under increased security uh, scrutiny regarding my security clearance lou says the investigative body is the Defence Counterintelligence Security Agency. Despite a previous favourable AFOSI investigation, I, Lou is, is basically now under accusation of releasing the videos in an unauthorised manner, even though he was previously found to have done no wrong in the, in the last uh, investigation into it. In addition, apparently at this point in time, Lou um, was uh, being accused of making statements that he never made on the History Channel show Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation. And this was basically um, under the investigation by this investigative body, the DCSA, Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency. And lo and behold, who does the DCSA fall directly under the control of, the cognizance of? Mr. Gary Reed. So at one point during the conversation with the investigator who was redacted, the discussion involved Lou's role in ATIP. And as Lou explained what his former leadership role was, the redacted individual interrupts Lou and says, quote, no one is arguing the fact you ran ATIP. The issue is regarding the videos, unquote. And Lou says here, expresses his shock that he was uh, surprised to hear this given the current stance, the public-facing stance of, of uh, Susan Goff, because the investigators at DCSA are aware of his role in ATIP, well, why is the Pentagon denying that he had a role in ATIP and what ATIP were doing? And furthermore, why is he being reinvestigated over an issue which he's already been exonerated from? So very unusual sequence of events there. And again, it's going into some fair amount of detail as to the, the alleged conspiracy of, of various people actually working in tandem to discredit Lou after his departure. And it also goes into some detail here about a member of the media who is conducting a formal F freedom of information request um, that Susan Goff indicated in writing that all Lou's records have been destroyed due to a lack of historical significance and could not be reproduced. And Lou was informed that the DOD took this action in 2019, despite portions of Lou's work involving legal discovery and evidence as it relates to the upcoming military commissions trial at Guantanamo Bay. So in essence, destroying evidence of not only the things that he's done to do with ATIP, but potentially having very significant knock-on effects to destroying really important evidence that relates to other aspects of his work. And Lou says here as well, if this is true and my records were indeed destroyed, I'm unclear how Miss Goff can maintain that I had no assigned duties when in fact no records exist. Kind of a good point, isn't it really? If all that has been destroyed, how are you going to actually prove either way whether or not he did have any uh, assigned responsibilities? And Lou says that he remains duly concerned that this statement is not only false, but maliciously deceitful and intended to mislead the American people. Again, this comes down to the crux of, of what this IG complaint is, is actually all about. 
So, so far, Lou has basically confirmed his version of events of his involvement in in OSAP, ATIP, and how all of that progressed through the years, in his interactions with other various people, some of the things that they actually were given in terms of video evidence and whatnot, and their activities of what they tried to achieve. Then he's gone on to then actually really delve into the details about this vendetta that's been waged against him by these various individuals who the complaint is actually directed towards. And we're finishing up now with... Basically, as of today, today obviously being the time that this IG complaint was filed, the Pentagon PAO officer, Susan Goff, continues to assert to the media that Lou has no uh, responsibilities, no involvement in the ATIP program. Fortunately, the original ATIP sponsor has provided official documentation contradicting this obvious attempt to deceive the public. And that uh, obviously is Harry Reid, uh, the late Harry Reid, who, who actually did um, originally sponsor ATIP and helped to secure the funding. And uh, he, he actually wrote uh, an official letter confirming Lou's role within OSAP and, uh, and ATIP. And it says here, please note additional information substantiating the above can be provided. It's my sincere concern that I am being unfairly targeted along with others formerly associated with ATIP for retribution and may even fall under whistleblower protection. There exists a severe conflict of interest and I am being persecuted by having my reputation and credibility constantly challenged and attacked by elements within the Pentagon. This result has impacted me professionally, financially and personally. Furthermore, the hardship endured by my family has cost us unimaginable pain and suffering. As a final thought, the US government is enjoined and must remain committed to serving the interest of the public. This includes being truthful and transparent in all interfaces. I am certain it would be a surprise to many that Ms. Goff has already publicly stated her position regarding this interface. Quote, equally fallacious in today's world of instant worldwide communications is the notion that you can separate military psychological activities from public affairs and public diplomacy, which is from page 36. The evolution of strategic influence by Susan Goff. Lou goes on then to finish off with, I sincerely hope that my government does not believe that psychological manipulation of the public is in the best interest of our government and our country. So that's basically the whole thing. That is all 12 pages of Lou's actual statement for the IG complaint. As it moves along, it then goes into various other documents which are um, aimed at verifying the details mentioned earlier, which you can read through for yourself. I mean, uh, uh, without that, what, what would that work out as? 52 other pages, which obviously I'm not going to delve into at this stage in time. Um, there's a lot of pages there um, that I'm, I can't go through every single aspect of it here because this has already been long enough. Um, but... It, it's very very interesting i think the the overall um main things that 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 hit me about this is that i personally think lou elizondo would would not lie in this particular situation i, I mean i personally vouch for him as having an extremely you know reliable track record 
basically everything that he said has eventually come to pass. Like the version of events outlined in the first part of this document, which I went through uh, in the part one, that version of events is is line is outlined here clearer than ever before with dates with all of the names apart from the redactions and it backs up everything that Lou has already said in the past i really don't think there is that much ambiguity in all of this and certainly there might be some discrepancies there might be some slight very minor things in terms of names that can't be revealed time frames that that weren't you know um weren't a good idea to reveal at the point in time when everything first came out and there's further conclude a further confusion in 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 the aspect of atip was actually also the nickname for orsap for operational security reasons for for a time so they didn't want to reveal the full name of the orsap program so they'd refer to it as atip whereas actually what atip was was a small um, part of the RSAP portfolio, which Lou Elizondo initially handled um, counterintelligence and security for, and then actually went on to become the director of the whole thing, and then shut down the RSAP thing, carried on with ATIP. So you can understand there's going to be a little bit of leeway that you have to give there, because, you know, Lou Elizondo technically was the director of RSAP, which you could think of as ATIP because it's nicknamed as ATIP even though ATIP actually was a subsection of RSAP it is a bit confusing and you can understand why when this was originally reported on by the New York Times and various other publications that confusion has arisen and they've said things like ATIP got 22 million in funding whereas in actual fact it was really RSAP that got that funding but ATIP was within RSAP so technically ATIP kind of did get that funding and also RSAP had a nickname of ATIP. So if you're referring to ATIP, the nickname version of ATIP, ATIP did get that funding. <laughs> it's very, very confusing. Also, the fact that, um, you know, the various communications from over the years, um, you know, that, that have come out from during the time that RSAP was running, RSAP was being referred to as ATIP. So again, if you look back at some of the historical documents, Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of confusion there because there's been, you know, it's not a, a crystal clear picture. But when you look at the bigger picture, you bear in mind Lou Elizondo's track record for having said certain things and then it happened. Like small example, um, he was interviewed by Lukatsky. He said he said this years ago. He didn't reveal Lukatsky's name as everything came out and Lukatsky went public, it turns out that actually Lukatsky was the director of RSAP and everything Lou Elizondo said in terms of Lukatsky interviewing Lou, bringing him on board for counterintelligence and security, Lou handling ATIP, it all turned out to be exactly correct. And all Lou Elizondo really has done is reaffirm with this, this IG complaint the exact sequence of events as he has already described it and flesh that out with some very significant details about exactly what took place and um, the types of things that they actually were privy to in terms of video evidence and what they gathered. And I just found it absolutely fascinating to go through. Overall, the timeline is, is exactly as I expected. And this is why I find it a bit difficult why some people are so confused and feel like there's been Lou Elizondo has intentionally misled people and things like that because... When I before I read this document, I already knew all this stuff. It's just that there is more detail in this and a lot more, a certain amount of 
really intriguing details about the specific videos that they looked at and things like that. But in terms of the overall timeline, this is what I've known all along. And I think really when you get journalists attacking Lou Elizondo um, and, and, you know, basically kind of joining in, in in what seems to be this conspiracy that, that is the, the core of this IG complaint, you do have to wonder exactly what the motivations are for going after Lou in this way. You know, is there some kind of a, a potential for there being a cooperation between people like Susan Goff, Gary Reed behind the scenes, and certain people who are in the, the, the podcasting and journalist world who are being told certain things perhaps by some of these insiders like Susan Goff and Gary Reed and whoever else might be on, on their kind of uh, team, as it were, in terms of conspiring against Lou Elizondo. Are there certain people that are poisoning the well from the inside and telling journalists things and and and, um, and and making intentionally misleading statements about what Lou Elizondo did and, and what he was involved in? That certainly seems to be what this uh, IG complaint is suggesting. And again, at the end of the day, you can only read this and make up your own mind. But if there is indeed a conspiracy from within from Gary Reed, Susan Goff, and various other people who are connected to them, um, you have to think that they would be you know, directly attempting to manipulate news reporting on this particular topic. And maybe that could explain some of the motivations behind certain people who have been uh, perpetuating this narrative that Lou Elizondo didn't have any involvement in ATIP and didn't have any... you know. The, the, pouncing on tiny details to do with you know the the semantics of, of wording and you know as i've heard a few people say you know a comma's in the wrong place so that means the entire thing falls apart you know if you're looking at the bigger picture here i think there's been a real consistency of exactly what has been claimed by Lou Elizondo and the fact that he's been willing to back that up by putting it all in writing in an official context in this way with serious repercussions if any of this turns out to be slander or something like that, this could make things a lot worse for Lou Elizondo. Um, the fact that he's willing to put his name and, and go to this level of detail, it, to me, is a, is a very, very strongly compelling argument that things have happened the way Lou Elizondo is alleging. Um, but that's just my view. What I've tried to do there is go through that in as much detail as I can because I think that these nuances are important. And at the end of the day, I would recommend everybody read this themselves and come to your own conclusions. But there it is. I think that's a huge bombshell. The, the main things that stood out to me are the, 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 the level of detail and how much Lou is doubled down on exactly what he has said already in the past. The fact that, and I'm going to go back to those couple of points there just quickly before we wrap up here. The fact that this video that came through in 2011, 18 to 20 minutes, three UAP in a triangle formation. Absolutely fascinating. The fact that that came from a highly sensitive US platform. Very, very fascinating. We're talking about another instance where Lou became 
extremely concerned by the fact that the UAP encounters were becoming seemingly more and more provocative. The duration of these incidents was increasing and that in one case there is clear footage of an object, a UAP, coming within feet of a jet. You know, those those have really stuck with me since I read this report. I mean, I find that absolutely fascinating. The fact that there is you know, still video evidence of that. Absolutely fascinating. And the fact that Lou is is really, really doubling down on the fact that there is a conspiracy. Susan Goff, Gary Reed and others are conspiring to discredit Lou and his his involvement in the things that he was involved with. I guess that's a, a conversation for another day as to why they would be so keen discredit Lou and stop this information from getting out is the laws being broken there has Susan Goff inserted herself into the FOIA process illegally is she interfering with the rights of the American people to be able to access information about what their government is up to is she stopping this information from getting out illegally by doing that this is what's been alleged by many people over the years and Lou Elizondo has gone one step further here by putting all of this into writing and making that complaint very, very directly, putting his name behind it. It's an absolutely fascinating development. Obviously, the, the actual complaint was filed some time ago, but obviously now this is available in the public the public sphere, as it were. Um, definitely worth going into. And I found it really fascinating. One of the biggest things that's happened this coming out for, for quite some time. And, and I honestly believe, I'm going to say this, this is my personal opinion, but I'm going to say, I honestly believe that this really goes some way to, to basically vindicating Lou Elizondo and the arguments against Lou is in terms of he's a liar, he's a fabricator. I just don't think that they can hold much water in the light of this. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you can say that you don't like the guy, but I, I really don't understand how somebody can... Or you can say you don't trust the guy. You can say you don't trust him as far as you can throw him. You wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. You dislike him tremendously. But I just don't think that what... Factually, I don't think you can say that he's been misleading and he has been inconsistent with his version of events. Because what is outlined in this IG complaint is exactly what he's been saying for years now. And you can go into semantics, you can pick up on little commas in the wrong places and all the rest of it, but Lou Elizondo broadly has been telling us this story exactly as it's outlined in the IG complaint for years. And all that this has done is clarify it into a nicely concise bullet-pointed document. And hopefully this document will stand as a reference point for anybody who wants to actually verify what Lou Elizondo's actual version of events is and it will serve as that because previously it was dribs and drabs here and there on, on podcasts and I, I referenced the John Greenwald Black Vault one because in that particular um, interview John Greenwald specifically asks him about all of that so that's for me the podcast where he's gone into this in the most detail and you know that's that's why I find that one particularly useful as an example there, but as I said in in this IG complaint, that is now the standard of of Lou's version of events, perfectly organised chronologically 
in bullet points with dates, names and dates, exactly what went on. There can be no more ambiguity about this. That is the version of events he's putting forward. People can say whatever they like about his personality, about recently people have been going after some certain things that he apparently commented on about his political beliefs. You can go after that if you want. You can, you can slate him as a person. You can not like him. You can say you don't like the look of him. Whatever you want to do. But I don't think that there really is any ambiguity about his version of events. He said this all along, and now it's there in writing for anybody who wants to check it. If that turns out to be completely false down the line, fair enough. I'll hold my hands up and say yeah, I was wrong about that. But in my opinion, he's been consistent all along, and this is just further clarification of exactly what took place. So I'm going to leave it there. I hope you found that informative, interesting. If you agree, then great. If you don't agree, then that's absolutely fine. Um, I'd be interested to hear thoughts. I mean, this is a big one. This is something that, you know, is fascinating. Uh, I think people are going to be talking about this for some time. Uh, if you if you disagree with me, feel free to get in touch because discussion is what this kind of thing is all about, you know. Drop me an email. I, I, I genuinely mean this. It's great to hear from people and one of the things I've found about doing this podcast is people, the, the, the I don't want to say the quality, the, the caliber of people who, who have been in touch with me since starting this podcast has been absolutely amazing. I mean, I get people, you know, um, a lot of the time people don't want necessarily to have their name attached to this topic because there still is a stigma. But I talk to people who, who are PhD level individuals people who are, are doctors, teachers, people who have responsibilities within society who get in touch with me to say that they're absolutely fascinated by this topic. And that's not to say you have to be a, some kind of responsible position in society to get in touch with me. I, I welcome hearing from absolutely anybody. But the point is, you know, I really have been blown away by the, the types of people. You know, we're not talking... I, I'm relatively new to the topic, still kind of class myself as that because I've been involved in this now, sort of, I guess, relatively deeply for the last couple of years, whereas people have been into this for decades. But when I first got into this, I never really expected the 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 level of discussion and the credible, intelligent people who are interested in this topic. And, you know, the fact that those kinds of people get in touch with me to tell me that they like the podcast and that my approach resonates with them is an absolutely massive compliment. So I really appreciate people getting in touch, whoever you are, whatever you do, because at the end of the day, this topic affects every single individual on this planet. You know, getting to the bottom of this mystery is an extremely important thing for the entire human race. And in my opinion, why I take the government disclosure process or the government transparency process quite seriously is because the government and the intelligence services and the military of whatever country it is that, that you live in are the best placed to be able to get to the bottom of this mystery, in my opinion, in terms of factual proof, sensor data, the bigger picture. As we know, it's more important than ever before to have bigger picture information when it comes to UFO sighting videos and things like that. Otherwise, you're just looking at, uh, you know, an, an intriguing video. As soon as you get that bigger picture information, the sensor data, all of that kind of thing, you can really kind of get to grips with what's going on. That is basically why I think 
government disclosure transparency process is so important because it's a step towards being able to get our governments to fulfill the curiosity the will of the people to okay there's a mystery now we pretty much accept that the mainstream are waking up to the fact that this is a genuine mystery so what do you know about this you know you're the one we pay our taxpayer money to governments to investigate this on our behalf i haven't got equipment anywhere near what the military have got so you're relying on the military to do their job and investigate mysteries of unusual objects that may be a threat remember and things like this coming out sheds light on where that process is up to and what we can expect going forward which is why i think it's so particularly important now i'm going to leave it there but um before i do um, I just want to give a big shout out to the Patreon supporters uh, because I don't advertise on the podcast. and I, I'm, At least for the time being, I'm really trying to keep it that way because having I, I really don't like listening to advertisements on YouTube videos, podcasts, and I kind of hate that everywhere you go on the internet, you're just bombarded with advertisements. So I really try to not do that with my podcast because I don't want you to be listening to my show and then an advert pops up did you know that you can claim accident and injury compensation from bloody blah and and i don't really want to do all that stuff on my show because i really feel like it harms the listener experience having said that having support for the podcast really allows it to grow and if you want to be able to help out in that regard i have a patreon account now patreon is you can support from about literally two dollars a month or something is the lowest tier it's a regular subscription so you get two dollars goes out of your account every month and in return for that you get early access to episodes every episode i do goes out at least a day in some cases a couple of days or even sometimes weeks before it goes out on the public feeds so you can get early access there's a a little community we have on patreon which is kind of a i guess like a community within a community um you know where you know, you can leave me messages, you can interact, send comments on the on the, the early access posts and, and get access to all of that before the, the rest of the general public gets access to it. Now, obviously, not everyone's in a position to support on Patreon. So if you choose not to, then absolutely fine. You can always listen to the show for free and you always, at least currently, won't have advertisements um, because I'm really trying to avoid that. So Patreon allows me to be able to keep keep doing this keep improving everything and avoid having those annoying adverts so i really appreciate the people who are in a position to support on patreon and and who do so um so thank you very much to all the patreon supporters and if you don't already support and you would like to you can just head to patreon.com forward slash ufo thinker now i'm going to leave it there so thanks for listening this has been an absolute blast and really kind of interesting process to go through um so until next time Stay curious, take it easy, and I will see you next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.